are listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. And we're here on the eve of a 2-0 start, the first time since 2015 that the Arizona Cardinals have started off with a perfect record against their first two teams, defeating the Washington football team by a score of 30-15. to uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, uh, part of the SB Nation podcast network. And I'm joined by my co-host, as always, the venerable Johnny Venerable. Uh, and, John, we get to talk about a Cardinals game that uh, we mentioned two perspectives. One was this would be a closer game, potentially, than we thought. The other was that the Cardinals would comfortably blow out the Washington football team in their home opener. And it was the latter. Uh, you ended up kind of having a little bit of a lean. It would be a blowout, and that is how it turned out. It really never was close in this game after the Cardinals went up 14-0 to in the first half. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for hopping on with us. I was close to accurate with my final prediction. I think I said, like, 35-21, so I was five points off on, on both scores, 30-15. to but I did think Arizona would surpass the lofty, I think, six and a half to seven point spread that was laid on this game. Um, and I, how it kind of trans, transpired was different than I thought, although the end result was, was still the same and a lopsided victory. I thought the Cardinal offense would be super efficient throughout all four quarters, and I thought the defense would, would be kind of bend but not break, similar to week one against San Francisco. And Blake, it was really the opposite, watching watching that game go down. The defense set the tone, shutting out Washington in the first half, really until the fourth quarter when they, you know, obviously took their foot off the gas. They were in complete control of a, let's face it, it's a somewhat limited Washington team offensively. But, you know, let's let's give credit where credit's due. This is the best Vance Joseph's defense has been since he's been in Arizona and probably since he's been, you know, a defensive coordinator dating back to his time with uh, the Miami Dolphins when they were humming along before he got his head coaching job in Denver. So it's exciting to see this team being able to somehow win in, in different ways, Blake. We look back at that team a year ago, and goodness, it felt like when they were fortunate enough to get one of their victories, it had to be Kyle Murray, Kyler Murray playing hero ball. And yes, we're seeing that within the course of the first two weeks of the season, but we're also seeing a defense that gets after the quarterback. They had four more sacks <clears throat> yesterday from four different players. The front seven has just been completely revamped. Uh, they're third in the NFL in sacks right now. And then on the flip side, this team just continues to run the football effectively, really since, Blake, about mid-year last year with the arrival of Kenyon Drake. This team has been one of the top rushing teams in all the NFL. I think as it stands this morning, they're fifth in the NFL in rushing. For the second consecutive week, Blake, they went over 160 yards on the ground, five yards a carry, and then, of course, Murray's two touchdowns. So, you think about what's going well, what's not going well. To me, I think that the intermediate passing game could still use a lot of tweaking, but the fact that the Cardinals are now winning games comfortably and they're not hitting on all cylinders yet, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say they're probably about 40 to 50% of what they're capable of being. I think that that should give you really good hope that this is this is a playoff team in the making. Uh, it's exciting to see the contributions from the second and third tier receivers that really we didn't have week one, Blake. It was the Hopkins show against San Francisco, and that was enough, along with Kyler Murray. But this week, Murray, he distributed <clears throat> consistently to four or five other receivers. Fitzgerald, Kirk, Isabella, and Hopkins all went over 50 yards receiving. I mean, you talk about the prototypical distribution of, of targets. The only thing we're missing there is the passing touchdowns. But Hopkins, of course, 8 for 68 in a touchdown. He was tremendous again uh, on nine targets. Had that one drop, but for the most part, looks every bit as the All-Pro he did in Week 1. And then I think one of the biggest surprises is the game, Blake. The highest-rated pro football-focused offensive player for the Arizona Cardinals was not Kyler Murray. It wasn't DJ Humphreys. It wasn't DeAndre Hopkins. It was Andy Isabella. On two catches for 67 yards, including that long of 54 yards. 
and goodness, if this is if this is the beginning of Isabella playing with more confidence, of course he wasn't really targeted in week one. Now against a, a Washington defense that by all accounts looks better, I think, than than what we saw in week one against San Francisco. He making his presence known. He only had two balls thrown at him, but he caught both. Kirk made a nice adjustment on a on a long pass from Kyler for 49 yards late in the game after being shut out in the first quarter with an injury, and then Fitz doing what Fitz does, intermediate. Uh, 7.1 yards per attempt on uh, seven receptions for 50 yards. Kyler Murray was effective uh, for the most part on the ground, 8 for 67, 8.4 yards per carry, which is just unheard of, including two long touchdown runs. So it's exciting to see, Blake, the maturation process of a young team that, you know, let's face it, we brought it up last week, still very much learning how to win. You look at that Seattle team from last night, and they know what they are. They're a Russell Wilson-dependent team, but he's done it time and time again that they feel like they can win those you know, nationally televised games. The Cardinals right now, you know, outside of Murray, because Murray was a winner at the college level and has high expectations, so many of these players just ha- haven't tasted success and certainly haven't tasted success at the NFL level. You know, for the most part, Kenyon Drake's been on losing teams throughout his duration of the year. Kirk, Christian Kirk has never won anything. Buda Baker, Chase Edmonds, Chandler Jones has never won in Arizona. He won in New England. You know, Devon Kennard's been in Detroit. Jordan Hicks <clears throat> was, you know, with, with some mediocre Philadelphia teams. Devondre Campbell was with a bad Atlanta team. I mean, the fact that they're starting to now, I don't want to use the term stockpile wins, but learning how to win and eventually learning how to win on a national stage is going to be key for this team to take the next step into being a playoff contender. But as far as what we saw Sunday, Blake, it was very much controlling the clock, limiting mistakes. They just had that one turnover on that errant pass by Kyler, making their presence known defensively, the standouts on special teams, and then Kyler Murray and the offense doing just enough to separate themselves. But I look at this game, Blake, and I think, Man, there was a lot of meat left on the bone and just makes me hopeful for the weeks to come. Yeah, John, this game didn't feel so much like it was a end result of the Cardinals, so much as still a launching point. There was lots of areas to improve. What's solid that you mentioned, at least with the defenses, they're coming in with an extremely high floor. Now, granted, they are playing a limited Niners team and uh, the Washington football team that are two of the worst offenses, but through two weeks, uh, they have the lowest overall point total in the NFL. They've only given up an average of 17.5 points a game. That's the second lowest in the NFL. You have to think that whoever's uh, gotten a shot at the Jets probably has the highest uh, as far as limiting points. And secondly, they are the right now best third down defense in the National Football League. They have gone in a complete 180 of last year. And uh, I think that's something that's encouraging, especially when you add in the fact that the Cardinals have been getting it done in all three phases of the game. Uh, you talked about that interception that Kyler threw. Uh, you look at the tape, it's probably a question Cliff will hopefully answer this week as to um, whether Kyler was trying to just fit in a ball to Andy Isabella, did not see Landon Collins coming uh, on the other side across. Or um, when rewatching some of the highlights, you notice that DeAndre Hopkins' uh, corner fell down on that play and he was trailing him. And so when Hopkins seemed to slow up and stop, it was almost seemed like Kyler just saw, oh, guy fell down, I'll hit Hopkins. Hopkins stopped thinking he was going to hit Isabella, and that's when the safety came in, which would kind of show to me, at least, if that's the case, this offense still is having some communication um, issues as far as with the lack of an offseason. We finally did get to see the back shoulder fade to DeAndre Hopkins. That takes a great level of communication between a quarterback and receiver. Uh, but to me, John, it, what speaks to me is that this is the second week in a row where the Cardinals needed a play to be made at least. Um, they, uh, I believe, had the interception that went back to um, the Washington football team. And then they cause a fumble on the punt return, get the ball back, and then it's the second week in a row they've been able to pay off any type of special teams big play with a touchdown with Kyler Murray running in that score on a 14-yard rush. Uh, the first t- touchdown was actually even more impressive, arguably, for him uh, stretching the corner. That was called back due to a 
penalty on Dan Arnold. And uh, John, we can talk a bit about the, the penalties in this game were a bit aggravating, and I'm not usually one to complain about refereeing. Uh, usually you kind of just have to accept and get what you can, but it felt very much like in that game a lot of those calls did go against Arizona. I think that that did limit the Cardinals, at least where there were times they did shoot themselves in the foot, but I feel like almost half of those penalties in Arizona were probably a bit unfair, and I'll be very curious to see if that changes or gets tightened up because they've been a highly penalized team thus far. Uh, but afterwards, just when you look at what Arizona did, they kicked a field goal, a second field goal at least, and the half Zane Gonzalez had a good bounce back um, game. And then there was a little bit of a malaise in the second half where it took a little while for the Cardinals to seemingly get going. They punted off twice to start the half, uh, including one time where they went for it on fourth down, converted, still punted it back. They finally did end up putting the game essentially out of reach with a last touchdown to go up 27-3. to And while you did see two touchdowns given up in what was... Close to garbage time, but not quite to Washington. Uh, the Cardinals were still able to put the game away in the second half overall with that touchdown run. Uh, I think it's a big step forward because, John, they took care of business. And the next three weeks, you've got a tremendous opportunity. You've got three 0-3 teams that are going to be coming to town, I believe, for uh, at least one with the Detroit Lions. They'll be playing the New York Jets, who are going to have some interesting uh, field uh, issues. And then you're also playing in between those games uh, the Carolina Panthers, who so far, John, you and I have the same amount of sacks as the Panthers have right now. Uh, and that bodes well for a Cardinals team that has only let up five sacks on the season. There's a lot of statistics you can kind of point and pick out, but the biggest one, at least, John, is the Cardinals have taken a step forward on offense. They've taken a leaps and bounds step forward on defense, and their special teams is playing well. And that means, John, that right now the Cardinals are going into these next three games is probably the heavy favorite, and that's not something we're used to saying. Yeah, but you know what was encouraging, Blake, is they were a seven-point favorite against this Washington team that was victorious in week one. So I think you and I and others had concerns about lofty expectations. And what did the Cardinals do? They came out and controlled the entire game. Really, they jumping out to a 20 nothing lead, uh, scoring you know when they needed to in the fourth quarter, almost matching them, uh, Washington points for points. Never at any point did I feel like this game was in jeopardy. Special teams and defense uh, rose to the occasion, complemented the offense well. And so that gives me more of encouragement and confidence heading into this three-week stretch where, I mean, Blake, there's no way to say it. They should be 5-0 and exiting this stretch. You've got, and I don't want to get off the Washington game too quickly, but you've got three head coaches, two of which could be fired by the mid midpoint in the season, that being Matt Patricia and Adam Gase. And then the other in Matt Rule for Carolina with a rebuilding roster that no longer has Christian McCaffrey, at least when the Cardinals are set to face them in two weeks. So the Cardinals are in a position right now where they're going to go into every contest leading up to that Monday night game against Dallas where they're going to have the superior head coach and quarterback and for the most part, the better team overall from a personnel standpoint. I think the closest game you know, shot for shot will probably be this Detroit Lions game that we'll preview later in the week. But, you know, you get Matthew Stafford, Kenny Galladay coming back from injury. They could give them some problems. And Patrick Peterson didn't give us too much encouragement this Sunday against what he did or didn't do against Terry McCullen. But that's neither here nor there. But I am encouraged by the fact that the Cardinals came out, took care of business, looked at a team that, listen, they're limited in what they can do offensively, but defensively, they can absolutely get after the quarterback, and they did a nice job limiting what Philadelphia did on the ground last week. And what did the Cardinals do? They responded, especially in the second half, running the football effectively. Kenyon Drake, who I thought looked a little bit hesitant in the first half, really emerged in the second half and in the fourth quarter, getting tough in between the tackles yards. He finished with a, a relatively quiet 20-carry uh, yard day for or 20 carries for uh, 86 yards on the day 4.3 yards per carry continues to be steady and then when you combine that with what Murray did on the ground I mean they're just they have too many ways right now where they can beat you I, I mentioned it on the pod last week I thought Kyler Murray would have a big day in the pocket throwing the football and he did from a yard standpoint but I, I don't know about you Blake but it certainly looks like and Kingsbury's comments at his press conference kind of reaffirmed this, that this this is going to be who Kyler is this year running the football. This is not going to be a week-to-week -week thing. Those two 
touchdown runs that he had were actually designed runs. They were not broken plays. At least that's what Kingsbury is telling us. So that that just leads me to believe, okay, we may not get the lofty passing numbers that we thought this year because they're making it clearly more of an emphasis for Kyler to be a runner. And that would make sense. You do it when the defense isn't expecting it. The Cardinals run uh, blocking up front is is average, I would say. But from a pass blocking standpoint, which is when Kyler is taking off, according to Pro Football Focus, they're one of the best in the NFL. Uh, DJ Humphreys and Kelvin Beecham performed exceptionally well, even against that pass rush against Washington Sunday. DJ Humphreys was their highest rated offensive tackle, excuse me, offensive lineman with a grade of 70.9. He had a really nice bounce back week after a mediocre week one against Nick Bosa in San Francisco. But I just think that when, when Kyler has a chance to erase those kinds of deficits and or down and distance that we've seen, Blake, from a lot of these egregious penalties to start the year. I mean, how many times do we look up and it's like second 19 or third and 22? And in comparison to, to seasons previously, especially with different quarterbacks, it was like, well, that's a, this is a guaranteed punt. We certainly don't have the playmakers on the outside to erase that, much less the quarterback. And Kyler just picks it up with ease with his legs. He did that against San Francisco last week, and then that second 19 touchdown run in the second half against Washington. There, is, I can't think of, of anything else more demoralizing for a defense where you do your job on first or second down, and you get the opposing team into long, long and dis, down in distances. And a player like Kyler Murray can shift through your defense like a hot knife through butter. And there's really, there's no way to account for it, especially against teams like Washington, Detroit, Carolina, and the Jets, that defensively, there's they don't have a Jamal Adams. They don't have a Bobby Wagner. They don't have that kind of personnel. And even San Francisco last week, Blake, Kyler shredded them on the ground. They've got Quan Alexander and Fred Warner, and they've got some Jimmy Wards playing well for them at the safety position. I mean, just imagine what his, his line is going to look like through the quarter of the season. It's going to be... He's going, to go in, he's going to continue to put up MVP caliber numbers. I posted an article on revengeofthebirds.com this morning. I'm going to try to do this every week. Kyler Murray's current odds to win the MVP. Fourth right now overall, depending on which site you go to. He's either tied with Dak Prescott for fourth or he's ahead of Dak Prescott. Just behind the likes of Lamar, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and of course Russell Wilson, who is the current front runner in our own division. But I, I just think that whether he wins it or not, the fact that he's in that conversation, Blake, at this point, and the way the schedule sets up, I would be shocked and completely demoralized if this was not a playoff team. Fast forward 14 weeks from now. Yeah, John, just looking at the numbers game, if the Cardinals can get off and take care of business the next few games before Dallas, and you start off 5-0, and you really are going to be looking at each week and say, hey, all the Cardinals have to do is just go and play 500 football the rest of the way, and you're going to have a good shot at the playoffs. That is very encouraging, I think, to every fan who is looking around the league and seeing that that week one game was very important for that aspect because as uh, soon as you end up getting one of those different wins uh, in division, uh, it cleans up a whole lot of other aspects, especially when you're talking about how weak a lot of the other teams around you are. Uh, so far, I think it's good to talk on offense. We did get to see a bounce back week from the, uh, you mentioned Andy Isabella going off with a big play. He's averaging right now about 21 yards per catch in his career. So about every every time he catches the ball, it's about almost two first downs worth on average. I think some of the questions that you have at least is, is it going to be something that he's used sparingly, more of like how a J.J. Nelson was used, or is it something where he'll be able to kind of earn more touches and earn more trust as it goes along? Uh, Christian Kirk also uh, didn't make too much of an impact on Sunday, but he did come down with uh, a long bomb from Kyler on a, an extended play rolling to his right. It's probably at least about like hung in the air for some 40 yards or so. Uh, I think that right now, if I had to pick any player in the Cardinals who's been kind of their offensive MVP outside of the efforts of Mount Galliard stepping up, it would be that Kelvin Beecham right now at right tackle uh, seems to just have... Um, uh, by finding another veteran tackle who has emerged and been able to be stalwart at the position, it's allowed for a lot of Kyler being able to kind of get around the edge, being able to run. 
And like you said, John, the protection held up and was solid. The Cardinals uh, so far have not been able to allow guys to get close, and Kyler's been able to use his legs to take off at times as well. Uh, I think that's been the biggest thing you've been able to see is an upgrade in the pass protection. Um, that, to me, speaks a lot about how Cliff Kingsbury's been able to uh, make enough of these adjustments, even without Max Williams, who uh, is a guy I think they missed yesterday, John. The running game seems to have worked best with the Cardinals when they've had these type of 12 personnel, two tight end situations, and having guys who can move around and block to be able to make some of those big run plays. And we saw some of that late in the game when it was kind of just trying to run the ball, get some clock, close the game out. Uh, but we haven't seen kind of the gaudy fantasy stats from the likes of Kenyon Drake yet or the three-touchdown game that Chase Edmonds had last year against the Giants. Uh, and So I do think that this offense hasn't quite hit its stride yet. It'll be interesting when Cole comes back uh, and if Max Williams can be healthy at least throughout this part of the season to be effective to see what it will look like. Because uh, right now Murray is really your offensive MVP and the only other guy I think that you really can't afford to lose right now period would be DeAndre Hopkins it feels very much like Kyler uh, he got the ball to at least seven different receivers the other day really does feel like that he's able to kind of take over in that aspect and as he grows and learns I think that the uh, and I don't know if it's going to reach the levels of a Russell Wilson right now where he's playing your hope obviously is that you'll be talking about a quarterback who's able to have more touchdowns and incompletions this high level of quarterbacking uh, and seeing this efficiency be able to take off where he's able to not just necessarily have to throw the ball away. I think we could be do one of those type of games, John, later in this year, particularly against a Jets team that, let's be honest, without Garoppolo, without any weapons outside of a rookie wide receiver, without Kittle, um, that still basically managed to blow them out just due to how poor they're playing defensively. I think that's going to be something you can look forward to. On the defensive side, however, John, you've got a MVP right now, and surprisingly, it's not really Chandler Jones. You could maybe argue Vance Joseph with having all these different players getting sacks, um, but I think the defensive MVP right now is Devondre Campbell, who looked lights out in coverage. Uh, it seemed to be kind of the answer to that tight end question. Uh, was all over the field making plays, at least. Logan Thomas never got a chance to get going on Sunday, and he's the big reason why. Yeah, totally agree with you, Blake. If I had to pick a defensive MVP, it would also be Devondre Campbell. He was the defensive player of the game for me yesterday. He's all over the field. He is everything we wanted Isaiah Simmons to be and probably can still be. But when we talk about, let's let's shift to that while we talk about somebody like Campbell and the frustration that I know is growing amongst the Cardinal fan base because, listen, what we saw defensively from this team last year was egregious, and we added some key players in the offseason that all seem to be playing dividends, but the biggest name was Isaiah Simmons, eighth overall in the draft. And so when we fast forward now and the Cardinals have one of the best defenses in the NFL, that's correct. They've allowed the least amount of points in the NFC West. They're the best team with third down defense in the NFL. You would think Isaiah Simmons is probably a big part of that, right? If I would have told you the end result of these first two games, but that has not been the case. The Cardinals are, are receiving borderline Pro Bowl level play from from Devondre Campbell and Jordan Hicks is is Jordan Hicks, right? So so what do you do? Campbell came from this Atlanta culture with Dan Quinn, and listen, by all accounts, just went off of pure athleticism. wasn't particularly well coached. We saw that last year. The Cardinals gave him really a, a kind of a throwaway deal. He was one of the latter kind of main free agents to sign, and he signed that modest one year contract. And when they drafted Simmons, a lot of people were like, well, that's wasted money. Why did they bring Devondre Campbell on when we had a chance to nab Simmons? We already have Jordan Hicks. But if you remember this position group last year, outside of Hicks, it was one of the worst on the team, especially after the Hassan Reddick experiment flamed out and they moved him to outside linebacker. So now you fast forward, inside linebacker is probably tied for first with defensive line from the most improved position unit on the team and right now I would probably say it's better than the defensive line just because of how much more athletic they've become at linebacker and you could throw Reddick and Kennard at outside linebacker in that equation as well as well they are deep I watched New England last night against Seattle they don't have anybody the caliber of Devondre Campbell or Jordan Hicks now they had some guys opt out but that just shows you the collection of talent and depth that they put together in such a short period of time we should be you know singing their praises that they put this together not becoming more and more frustrated that Isaiah Simmons only had seven snaps yesterday but 
once the Cardinals defense begins to struggle and they have liabilities up the middle and Isaiah Simmons isn't playing, then we can have a conversation. But when they're putting up historically great defensive numbers for a team and a defense that has been essentially non-existent, irrelevant, really since what, 2016, 2017, James Betcher's last year, and even then they were starting to deteriorate talent-wise, I think we, we need to be thankful from the impact that somebody like Campbell is providing. He looked fantastic yesterday, com- covering bigger receivers, covering backs out of the flat, covering tight ends. I mean, the tight end position right now, that was so troublesome. The Cardinals had the, historically the worst season defending the tight end a year ago, non-existent. George Kittle, non-existent two weeks ago. Yesterday, I couldn't even tell you. Logan Thomas had like a couple catches. That was it. Devondre Campbell has been a godsend. If if Simmons was not, Blake, in the equation right now, wouldn't you think that they'd already be thinking, we got to get this guy signed for next year? Maybe they still think that way, and maybe you, you could tweak Simmons and make him an outside linebacker or a safety. I know uh, outside of two games, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But Devondre Campbell is 27 years old. He's a former fourth-round pick. This, this wasn't a throwaway pick. This was just, I think, an egregious mistake by the Atlanta Falcons, who make a lot of them these days, especially on the field. But personnel-wise, drafting this kid out of Minnesota in 2016, taking his time to get you know, caught up to the rigors of the NFL, but has been a consistent starter since then, had a really nice season last year, 129 tackles, two sacks, three forced fumbles, two picks. I remember getting this guy and thinking, wow, he's, he's going to be a nice upgrade over certainly what they had a year ago. And through two games, Blake, he has been a better player than Jordan, Jordan Hicks, who, we, who we're still very much high on. He's been their best overall linebacker, superior to that even to Chandler Jones. And then I'll, I'll give Jordan Phillips some credit as well. He and Campbell made a difference yesterday and they were the two big free agent signings this team made on top of Devon Kennard. Steve Kime, as bad as he was in the free agent group two years ago, that's how good this group has been. And Blake, I think a lot of that can speak to the fact that you know you, you have a chance to be connected to Vance Joseph and what he likes to do schematically and the kind of players he needs to succeed. And Kime and Bidwell and Kingsbury didn't listen to the outside noise of the media, including ourselves, that they need to move off of Vance Joseph. They kept Vance Joseph in the fold. They let him tailor a lot of these free agent additions to his defense. In the midst of a global pandemic, when a lot of these teams with new coaches are struggling to adapt, the Cardinals preached consistency with the group that they had. And look who's balling out, their defense and their special teams, that they retain their two coaches. Clearly, you know, special teams coach wasn't going anywhere, but this is his third year with the team. And you could argue the Cardinals have a top three to five special teams core right now in all football. Who would have thought we would ever said that? But I, I think Devondre Campbell is a product of the, the, the patience that we've had with Vance Joseph. And I'm excited to see what he can do over the, the calendar of 16 games. But You know, the Simmons, Blake, and I'll pose this question to you. The Simmons factor is going to be interesting, especially as they play more pass-heavy offenses. You've got to find a way to get them on the field, but you certainly don't want to do it if it's going to be a liability um, defensively for you. Yeah, John, I think the easy way to do that is to um, look at what happened with Byron Murphy where he settled in after sticking to just a slot corner role where they were playing him at outside or slot or hybrid. I, I think the easiest way for me is... Uh, you can look at what the Cardinals are doing right now, and a lot of it is I think that they were expecting Isaiah Simmons to be a guy on the field. We even talked about how the expectation was he'd be on the field the majority of the time. What I think was the surprise was that Hassan Reddick came in uh, motivated. Uh, I'm not saying it's a Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers type of situation, uh, but I do think that it did at least allow Hassan Reddick to wake up, and the second half of it is Reddick isn't playing in an outside linebacker role where he gets to rush the passer some from the edge or be able to kind of do more of the uh, near-the-line sort of coverage. It would be more of like uh, an outside linebacker that would have more similarity to the defensive end role he played in college than it would to this inside linebacker down-the-field off-ball coverage role that uh, Devondre Campbell is playing. 
And I think that the fact that Reddick is playing well is part of where that's kind of the role that Isaiah Simmons that they've envisioned and they've wanted for him. Reddick's been playing over him, and since it's been working and winning games, I think that part of it is it's going to be hard to unseat the veteran, especially because the NFL is a win-now league. Uh, my hope is that the Cardinals will be able to uh, find a spot to be able to plug him in and rotate. He did have a really good goal line run stop that when he was in last week. Uh, but right now, teams are going to target and take advantage of him. And unless you're going to get in a spot where your team is up and leading and are able to kind of put him in without having some of those consequences, uh, it is going to be kind of difficult. This is kind of the best time over these next few games, I think, will be the time to put Simmons in to be able to kind of throw him in, um, kind of toss him to the wolves and then see that he'll come out stronger for the back end, I think, because... You do want to see guys get reps, get playing time. David Johnson wasn't really ready for his full-time role with the Cardinals until week eight. Um, I know there's some concern, at least. There's a lot of people who are just wondering how much of this linebacker role, at least, is really for him to be able to have versus this whole, uh, you know, playing at slot corner, playing, uh, you know, one of these safety positions, uh, rushing off the edge, or being in kind of that read-and-react role at the outside linebacker spot. Um, similar to what he did at Clemson versus playing one specific position and learning that. Uh, that's going to be up to the Cardinals to figure out. Uh, the good news is that, you know, what we talk about is that if Hassan Reddick plays well enough that you can't take him off the field to be able to put Simmons on, Reddick's going to be gone next year, so there will be at least a role on this defense. And there is a room, uh, in room on this defense to have the likes of a Jordan Hicks, to keep a Devondre Campbell, uh, should they choose to resign him and have the money to do so, which will be something that we can talk about. Uh, given the Cardinals' corner situation, which we'll get to in a second here. Uh, I think that that's going to be something you can look for. The hard part, at least, John, is that uh, whatever it is, the narrative is going to be looking at Steve Keim and his past two hybrid linebacker draft picks uh, uh, until you kind of prove otherwise. That is going to be the narrative, and that's part of why fans are concerned. Uh, to me, the bigger area I think that we can look at is the play overall of the corners. Uh, Byron Murphy had another solid day overall yesterday, I think, and then you look at... Uh, Patrick Peterson. Now, what was interesting was uh, the uh, best player for Washington, at least outside of maybe one of their defensive linemen, was Terry McLaurin, the third round pick. He's maybe the guy who's more egregious than a DK Metcalf that teams passed on. Uh, his production through his first uh, season and uh, season and two games starting is at a higher level so far than the likes of Fitzgerald or Hopkins. Now, he also has a quarterback that he knew from college. He was an OSU grad, just like his uh, quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, he had 125 yards and a touchdown yesterday against Arizona. Uh, a good way to describe, I think, Dane Brugel, the draft expert, said that you can see how he just... His speed helps eliminate pursuit angles, meaning like he just runs away from guys. We've even seen the same thing with Andy Isabella, where he kind of takes a slant route and he can just take that to the house. Guys just can't catch him with that speed. We've also seen the hands and the ability to run excellent routes. He had a touchdown in which uh, Patrick Peterson was just burned straight off of the line. That was on a drive in which I had to rewatch the tape. But uh, Drake Kirkpatrick also was beaten twice on that play. Uh, give Washington credit. There was a bit of a pick route where Peterson almost kind of had to run through a Cardinals defender. But there was at least some wondering that I had of, like, could he have sped up? It didn't seem like he really tried to dive, or it seemed like there was a chance for Peterson to tackle him short of the end zone. Instead, it seemed like he kind of just let him run in, and I think a lot of Cardinals fans, at least, are, um, saw that were like, oh, it's time to move on from Peterson. Let's kind of move on here, and I don't know if that's the time just yet. I think it's been two games to this season. Obviously, Peterson is playing at a higher level than last year, but it's going to be something to look at, John, considering both corners have their deals up at the end of the year, and you're going to be limited with a pandemic. I think there's going to be a lot to see how Peterson plays against the likes of you know, some of these tougher foes coming up with the likes of the Robert Woods, with the likes of these smaller shifty guys like a Tyler Lockett. Uh, I think it's going to, in some cases, maybe leave some to be desired, especially if you're talking about having to franchise tag him at $17 million for a single year next year. But on the other end, you're not really having any corners to replace him outside of a rookie. And uh, I think that, John, what we've seen from the Cardinals this year tells you that there's not a uh, the train has not yet arrived at the station. Arizona hasn't arrived. It's why I love that Cliff Kingsbury pulled the team together when they were up still 20 to 7. Uh, kind of identified that he'd been kind of maybe being a little bit too trippy with the plays. Maybe there are some aspects where, you know, he wasn't calling their bread and butter. Um, it was kind of another aspect of that he pushed the team afterwards saying, we can be so much better. He's like, yeah, obviously it starts with me. I can learn from all of this too. 
but he's pushing his guys to be better. And it tells me, John, that this probably isn't like one of those Cardinals, like Super Bowl or like Cardinals Ravens uh, 2019 or the Chiefs 2018, where you just kind of cruise all the way to a championship game. I think the Cardinals, the best is still yet to come. Maybe that means that this is a playoff team this year, uh, if they can take care of business. Maybe it means they're a year away. What that means, I think, John, is they've got a lot of key decisions to be able to have to make, especially because you're going to get a huge opportunity, I think, this year with how many injuries there are around the NFL. We can talk a bit about that now to be able to take advantage of that and to be grateful that through two weeks you've been pretty much not unscathed, but you've been relatively uh, overall compared to what some teams are who've been brutally uh, seeing this onslaught of injuries. You've kind of come through it pretty clear overall. Let's hope that continues moving forward. Yeah, just until we go to the Meadowlands and have to play the Jets on that egregious field that has left the San Francisco 49ers a shell of what they thought they were going to be. Or the Giants. And the Giants even, are playing or the, Giants. the same yeah, field, the, too. We play them this year. <laughs> no, man, they... I. It's difficult because I know that, not to get off topic, but I, I know there's been conversations that the Niners have had basically refusing to play on that field again this weekend. So that's that's kind of something to monitor as the Cardinals are set to visit the Jets in a couple weeks. But, you know, they have been fortunate. But, you know, they were fairly healthy last year. And I you go back to, like, the Bruce Arian-led teams and, and the fact that you could basically pencil in losing an impact starter before or during the season via major injury and, and knock on wood that just hasn't been the case at least during Kingsbury's you know 18 months as the head coach um yeah they lost Robert Alford I you know is he an impact player he was a starter and I guess he was having a good camp but you know they found a Drake Kirkpatrick that has played admirably in his position Marcus Gilbert to me was going to compete with Justin Murray, and they lucked out in that instance in the sense that they got a better player overall in Kelvin Beecham. I mean, he's just a, a better, more equipped player right now, younger, has done it at a higher level for a more recent amount of time with the Jets, and that could be one of the biggest saving graces of the offseason. I mean, the, the fact that you got Kelvin Beecham right before the onslaught of tackle injuries ran across the NFL, that's just the football god saying, hey, we're going to throw you a bone because your tackle play has been so rough for some time. So outside of that, Jalen Thompson, by all counts, it doesn't look like his injury is season-ending, at least you know from our knowledge, Blake. It, he could very well be back in three weeks, but even if he's back by midseason, I was looking at Pro Football Focus's advanced stats this morning. Chris Banjo had the best tackling rate out of any defensive back that the Cardinals had. I should say, of any defender that the Cardinals had. He looked very competent, very capable. Deontay Thompson played some snaps, not enough to get a good judge of where he's going to be at. But, I mean, I would be surprised right now, Blake, with the production that we're seeing out of Banjo if they bring in a veteran safety. Now, they're going to be tested Maybe not in the coming weeks, but you know, midseason with some superior passing offenses. I'm looking specifically at that Monday night game against Dallas. But Chris Banjo, to me, if he plays like that every week, they're going to be fine whether or not Jalen comes back anytime soon. So, you know, it's the NFL, it's the nature of the business, but you look around the league, specifically San Francisco, who was everybody's darling this time last year you know, co-favorites to make it back to the Super Bowl. They already had the influx of personnel exiting out of this roster in Emmanuel Sanders and DeForest Buckners of the world. And they thought that they'd be able to replicate that with some of their younger players. And then you lose somebody like Nick Bosa. And I want to focus on Nick for a second. Many people thought was the probably the, the trending pick to be defensive player of the year. Had a phenomenal rookie season. There's no denying that. But what did we talk about, Blake, leading up to that draft pick? His only question mark was durability. I mean, he was a generational pass rusher, um, and we saw another one this past weekend with Chase Young, but he had been hurt in college, that being Nick Bosa. He'd been hurt at the high school level. He was hurt all of training camp leading up to the preseason last year, and somehow, and to his credit, was able to play all 16 games and into the postseason and and had a phenomenal Super Bowl. But you talk about that prolonged season extended into February, and then no offseason this year. I'm not saying that it was telegraphed he was going to get injured, but are you surprised? I'm not surprised. And then you look on the flip side with Kyler Murray, who knock on wood, and I, I probably will get killed for this, has just never been injured in his career. And I think that was a big selling point for Steve Kime on top of we got to get an upgrade at quarterback. But 
you know, Quinn Williams had two sacks yesterday. Looks good. Nick Bosa was the other player in that equation that the Cardinals were considering. He's at, he's not going to play this year. It's going to take him probably 18 months to recover to the to the point where he can be the kind of player that they expect him to be. This isn't a May ACL where he can rally and be back full speed for next year. And I know guys are, are recovering from ACLs much faster, but you lose a Nick Bosa. I don't care if you are San Francisco and you've got some capable depth. They will not recover from that. He was such an impact player for them last year. Then they're out DeForest Buckner, who was their best defensive tackle, and now Nick Bosa, who was their best pass rusher. They're bringing in Ziggy Anse for a workout, and I think they're going to sign him this morning. They lose rotational pass rusher Salman Thomas to injury. They have just sustained too many injuries for me to take them seriously as a playoff contender. I do think they'll be capable offensively because that's what Shanahan does. But the Cardinals should absolutely sweep the San Francisco 49ers and, and should leapfrog them now in, in the playoff contention rankings, Blake. Uh, yeah, John, the biggest thing I, I think is unfortunate is we'd hope that the Rams would be able to kind of take a step back this year as far as in the division. They instead look to be either a team that's played a, uh, let's put it straightforward, weak Cowboys defense and then played also what looks like a terrible Eagles team, Carson Wentz. And that defense seemed to be regressing, but they still look incredibly strong overall. Uh, they seem to be back to being able to run the football efficiently and using a lot of the play action. Uh, they've got a very, very, very <laughs> um, formidable play caller in Sean McVay. And I'll be curious at least to be able to see how the NFC West does. Again, like you said, the other thing that I think stands out is the Niners have a first place schedule they'll have to play this year uh, against the opposing teams. Um, even though they play the weakest divisions in football in the uh, is the NFC East and the AFC East, um, like you said, it, it does seem like they were due for a setback, but with these injuries, it just ends up being um, uh, brutal. What's been really interesting to watch has been the progress that's been made in division of Russell Wilson, who threw for five touchdown passes against the Patriots. Uh, Pats are missing a lot of their talent, obviously, but he still seems to be kind of leading this new uh, aerial raid with their wide receivers uh, and even throwing to the running backs a lot more. They've kind of taken a step forward, it seems like, from Seattle versus just running the football for no reason other than running the football. Um, so I think that it shapes up pretty well overall for uh, Arizona to be able to at least contend. This is kind of a great year to be able to look at having that seventh playoff seed. Uh, and a lot of that thing comes back to Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Obviously, they've been surrounded with talent, but being able to have a quarterback who's got uh, essentially is a cheat code with his legs. We talk about how uh, Lamar Jackson in the red zone was essentially a cheat code in college. It's just you got in within 20 yards, you would score. Cardinals have that guy right now as well with Kyler Murray, and that I think is something that can't be understated just for how dangerous that is for someone who can pick up a third and 17 with their legs or score from 22 yards out and make it a guy who ran a 4-3 as a freak athlete like Troy Apke just look absolutely embarrassed on the open field in one of those runs. Uh, let's go ahead, kind of, John, and just shift to looking a little bit ahead around with not not around the league, but a little bit forward, at least, with what we have. Um, we'll get into a full preview of the Lions, obviously, uh, later in the week. But I think, John, what should be the expectations that we have for Arizona moving forward? Because from what I've seen right now, I think that there's obviously excitement, there's optimism, seeing how the Cardinals have been able to perform so well and go 2-0 and despite not playing their best football. Is there kind of a cap that we should have on some of those expectations because they're not playing their best? We still haven't seen, I think, this explosion of offense to be able to put up 40 points. And I think that was part of why Cliff was disappointed was that team should have put 40 points onto Washington. They didn't. I think that that defense, they could have performed better. I don't think they were going to pitch a shutout, but I think that they had room to stop two touchdowns from being scored, at least to be able to hold Washington uh, what I at least was curious about, John, is looking at the likes of a Dwayne Haskins, who uh, I compared him with you very similarly to a Josh Rosen in terms of much more of a pocket guy. He was drafted, ironically enough, both teams were picking 15th. Arizona just traded up for him. Uh, Washington did not. 
um, having a lot of turnover, at least, as far as having three different coordinators in two years. I kind of feel bad for the guy, at least, and it just shows kind of the contrast to me of when you're a team that has a franchise quarterback who you know is the guy versus a team that's still trying to figure out what exactly they have, the, the difference between those guys in their second year, uh, it was night and day, Don, and, and that shows still the redeeming aspect of moving on, and it also shows, John, what kind of a team you are if you don't have that guy. Uh, you almost kind of have to keep searching or keep taking as many cracks at it until you find that guy, because if you don't, it's been the difference between Washington this year and the Arizona Cardinals this year. It's a huge difference, and it's all because of that quarterback position. Yeah, and I think Steve Kime is going to blaze the trail for a lot of general managers who are fortunate enough to pick two different quarterbacks because I think we're going to see it happen more and more now. Basically, Blake, if you come into the league and you're not popping by year two or you're not at least showing some signs of life and you're kind of stagnant looking mediocre, teams are going to move off of you. I'm not trying to diminish what a lot of these young quarterbacks are doing, but it's never been easier to play the position based on the rules, based on the concepts that are bringing from even the high school level, but certainly the college level into the NFL. If you do not have a playmaker at quarterback, you do not have a chance to win a championship. Um, There are outliers. Um, Certainly San Francisco last year with a limited Jimmy Garoppolo had a loaded roster, certainly defensively, had a historic defense for them in a historic running game. Uh, you know, Tom Brady and the New England Patriot dynasty two years ago, um, Jared Goff and, and his team playing well two years ago. But I, I just think now if you, if you don't have that special kind of playmaker at QB, you're going to be in a position where the rest of your roster has to be borderline elite. And then you've got a, <laughs> scenarios in which you've got elite level rosters in the likes of Kansas City and Baltimore on top of that elite playmaker. And you've really got issues for the rest of that conference. So Arizona is trying to get to that point. I think right now, Blake, as long as Kyle Murray stays healthy and they're not ravished by you know a niner level collapse at injuries, ACLs left and right, this is going to be a playoff team this year. I'm fairly confident in that now, especially with the addition of a seventh seed. And I don't want to downplay the likes of a division championship, but I, I just think that they're going to get to nine wins at least, and that's going to be enough to get them into the postseason. They're already 2-0 and against the conference, that being the NFC, and that's huge. If something could hold them back right now, and I'll go both sides of the football, I would go if they have kind of a collapse from a secondary option at the receiver position to Hopkins, which I don't think is going to happen. But they've been limited in the past at that position. It's the reason that, Blake, we thought that they would consider CeeDee Lamb in the first round, even after trading for Hopkins. But again, I I think that we're going to get enough now from an emerging Andy Isabella, who had probably his best game as a pro overall on Sunday, even including San Francisco last year. And then Christian Kirk, who I'm still high on, and of course the ageless fits. Defensively, I think what could slow this team down, I initially thought before the season, Blake, it would be their pass rush, but I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong with that. I think it's their, their cornerback group. Patrick Peterson did not look good Sunday. Drake Kirkpatrick, although we think he looks fairly solid, his PFF grade and PFF is in the end-all be-all, was not super inspiring. Byron Murphy was solid. If that group cannot raise their level of play against prolific passing offenses like a Dallas like a Seattle, teams that are going to you know push the ball downfield. Can, can we play man-to-man coverage? Can we see the Byron Murphy from week one who's breaking up plays to seal the game against San Francisco? If that group collapses, um, the Cardinals are going to have issues. But again, I am so confident in how this group has responded, either offensively or defensively, when the other side of the football cannot make a play or has a blunder. Week one, it was the special teams blocking the punt on another three and out by the offense. Then the offense responds and scores a touchdown. And then in the fourth quarter, Kyle Murray goes score for score with San Francisco, and then the defense steps up. And then yesterday, what was it, Blake? Kyler Murray throws a bad interception. The defense responds, immediate turnover by Chandler Jones and Jordan Phillips. In the fourth quarter, defense starts getting a little lackadaisical, takes the foot off the gas. The offense picks up a touchdown and first downs to seal the game when they need to. As long as the team can consistently play complementary football and they're not too one-sided, I think this is a playoff team. Certainly going to be... a could very well be a double-digit win team based on the the way the schedule breaks. They get the NFC and the AFC East by far, in our opinion, Blake, the two worst divisions in all pro football. 
Yeah, absolutely, John. Yeah, it's kind of painful for me as like when you talked about with Lamb because uh, Isaiah Simmons had a great tackle for one, but is still not in a starting spot. And he went off for like, you know, 100 yards or something like that, that magical uh, comeback victory for the Cowboys, at least. And so it just shows kind of with the doesn't show where everyone's going to start. It's obviously about where you finish. It'll just be interesting to see as we continue to look at uh, this general manager, at least with them and with Cliff um, to be able to see as we've talked about, John, the two teams that have had the best quarterback play over the number of years have been. Uh, arguably the Packers and the Seahawks. The Cardinals have a chance to be one of those teams. What we've seen instead, though, is that it's all about the talent evaluation, which is why teams like the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Patriots, who, you know, signed Cam Newton for a box of scraps, essentially, compared to what most teams are playing, uh, paying their quarterbacks. That's where you need the Cardinals to be, is to be able to be that team that can talent evaluate properly and to see them grow. And whether that's with Steve Keim, whether that's saying that Keim's got limitations, that's stuff the Cardinals will have to figure out because if you're going to be getting into these days where Kyler Murray turns into the superstar type of quarterback and gets paid like it, if you're going to be a continual competitor, you're going to have to make sure you're evaluating talent. Uh, the next three weeks for this, I think what you want to do, John, and this will be the last thing I think we'll end for today is you got to build up and be able to uh, keep pushing on to be able to say, don't let off the gas pedal. I think this is an opportunity for the Cardinals to make their stamp on the rest of the NFL to be looked at as a serious threat, especially before that Monday night game in Dallas. Uh, that's, I think, going to be the pinnacle. If you can be 5-0 and heading into that game, uh, we'll talk about what they have to do to get to 3-0 first against the Lions uh, later this week. Uh, that's been all for us. Uh, you can follow uh, the Revenge of the Birds podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. You can follow John on Twitter as well at Johnny Venerable. And John, uh, you had a, a lot of viewers on your periscopes that you have. Talk a bit about those as we wrap up uh, to end the game, or I should say to sum up the game as you do every week. Sure. I appreciate the plug, Blake. Yeah. If you're not familiar, I do a started to do a Periscope postgame show, 20, 30 minutes recapping the game immediately following the conclusion of the game. I appreciate all the support, the people that are coming out to do that. I think there's an appetite for live on-the-spot content. You can access that from my Twitter feed. I'll retweet it throughout the duration of the week. I'd like to get to a point where we're doing more, Blake. Uh, Blake and I are trying to get as much content as we as we can. This little podcast that we started, this is our fourth season now. This is the first time during that span that this team has been over 500, not to mention by two games. So we're excited about the maturation process of this team, and we're excited to bring you content on tons of different platforms and avenues as we can continue this 2020 season Blake yeah, absolutely John uh, thanks again for tuning in this has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast you can find us of course on our SB Nation site at revengeofthebirds.com you can also look for us on anywhere you find podcasts on Spotify on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts places like uh, Himalaya iHeartRadio uh, even Stitcher as well uh, thanks you again so much for tuning in we'll be back later in the week we're previewing an old foe it seems like every single year there's always the Cardinals playing the Detroit Lions uh, last year's memorable season openers against them as well uh, something crazy or something unique always seems to happen whenever the cards play the lions we'll be here to preview all of that so stay tuned this has been the revenge of the birds podcast we'll check in with you guys later this week